Hi, I'm Joaquin Evans, co-senior leader of Bethel Austin. I pray that Jesus ministers to you through today's message and that you are blessed deeply. If you're encouraged, please like and subscribe so you can stay up to date with all of our weekly sermons. Enjoy the message. So I've been on a bit of a journey since May of some interesting things that have happened in my life, some stories, some encounters, and some dreams. And it's all kind of collected into something that I wanna share with you this morning. And I've had a lot of fun with the Holy Spirit over the last few months. I kind of opened my notes app on my phone and just started documenting some things for like the last two and a half months. Lots of pages, (laughs) lots of pages. I had to pare this down, but just wanna give a little bit of intro. So my background is in print journalism. I come from the newspaper and magazine industry as a writer and an editor. I have loved words all my life to the point that it was a bit unusual when I was a little child. Uh, My mom likes to tell the story of how her little girl would take the back of shampoo and conditioner bottles and study the ingredients to teach myself how to phonetically pronounce ingredients like methyl chloroisothiazolinone and then phonetically break it down. And my mom's like, who is this child? Um, Anytime I would ask her, well, how do you spell a word? Go to the dictionary. Because she recognized something very young, so she put my head in the dictionary. So I was the one sitting on the couch reading the dictionary as a little kid. I know, real nerd level stuff there. So that, what that did is it cultivated this hunger that helped my pathway to lead toward journalism and communication. Like the Lord was doing something real young, stirring something. And so what happened is for the last 25 years, I've been studying the media and communication. That has been my classroom. It's, it's what I've put my heart to. It's the life assignment on my life, what the area, the metron that God has given me influence over and authority over because that's biblical. It's what we have. Every one of us in here have a life assignment have metrons, has fears of influence that we are called to touch for the kingdom. And so I say all that because it it just helps create the standpoint for where we're going this morning. So I had a, a couch experience in May. It was a Saturday morning. I was sitting down, I was worshiping, I was praying, I was just spending some time with the Lord. And because of what I do and the DNA with the media and communication, it's a regular thing for me to scan the headlines of the day from multiple news sources because what that does is I wanna know what's happening in my city. I wanna know what's happening in my state and in my nation because I wanna know what shouldn't be happening in my city, in my state, and in my nation. And what it does is it gives me ammo to go into some times of intercession to pray over what the media is releasing, over what is happening in the airwaves. And so on this particular day, it was thick and it was dark and I could feel the swirling in the atmosphere. I could 
see the competition for people's attention. I could see the agendas of darkness. I could see how the media's tactic of agenda setting was in operation, which is actually a communication theory that the media can't tell you how to think, but they can tell you what to think about by priming and positioning and arranging certain stories in a way that it shifts patterns of thinking and it affects your mindsets. So don't you think that would kind of affect your day if they have a tactic and how they work, but the Lord's tactics are greater. <laughs> so I could feel this battle raging between good and evil and what was coming through our airwaves that day. Now, honestly, I'm not normally shaken by that stuff. It, it doesn't get to me because of, like I said earlier, my life assignment. And honestly, with, by studying media and communication, that falls under the jurisdiction of on earth as it is in heaven life assignments. And so I know that, I know who I am as a daughter of God, and I'm gonna tell you, every one of you in here, have, fall under the jurisdiction of an on earth as it is in heaven assignment on your life that carries the DNA of the goodness and the authority of the kingdom so that you can step out into your zone of authority and influence and shake the gates of hell. That is who you are and that is what you're called to do because your identity is anchored as a son and a daughter and you are rooted and grounded in the place of sonship and not as an orphan. You know who your father is. You know what you are called to do. So you declare and you decree the authority of on earth as it is in heaven. That's your rightful place. That's your inheritance. You've been bestowed with this authority from on high to make a difference in your area. But in that couch moment, I forgot all that. <laughs> Briefly, because I just started to get overwhelmed. I'm just being honest with you. Like what was coming out that day, I got distracted because of this swirl. And I just sat there and I remember I just started tearing up and I asked her, I was like, what is going on? What is happening in the nation right now? And then this is what I heard. Don't let the veil of distraction prevent you from seeing the veil that's already been torn on your behalf. Ouch. <laughs> Have you ever had the Lord speak in a moment and he's like, let's, let's get some adjustment here. And I need to fine tune your thinking in this moment. And so after processing that statement a little bit, God was like, wait, there's more. <laughs> then he followed up with, don't let distraction limit your unveiled access to the presence of God, the glory of the Lord. So I had to shift real fast and remember who I am as his kid. Remember the authority that we are called to carry. And so that statement, it adjusted my perspective and I, I did some repentance. I got back in alignment and I soaked in the Lord's presence for a little bit 
And then I just started declaring scriptures like Isaiah 54, 17, that no weapon formed against me or my family or my city or my state or my nation will prosper. And any tongue of judgment that rises up against me, I condemn in the almighty name of Jesus. I had to remember things like 2 Timothy 1, 7, that you have not given me a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and a sound mind, a healthy mind, a mind that's focused, a mind that knows who they are in the zone as a son and daughter, a sound mind. So if you look at the airwaves right now, there's some dark stuff happening. Let's just be honest. And it's easy. You could get overwhelmed. You could slip into a place of, wow, what is happening in my nation right now? We have a lot going on. It can get dark. And the truth is it's going to get darker. That's biblical. Scripture tells us that it's gonna get dark, but then the light of the Lord dispels darkness. Light and dark cannot cohabitate together. When light enters the room, when darkness is swirling in your city and the light of the Lord enters that city, darkness has to go in the name of Jesus. And you are ambassadors of the kingdom, reflections of Jesus Christ, made in the image of your father that has the authority to release the light into places of darkness. So it's important that while we are hearing things in the airway, because communication is all around us. It's through different avenues, different places. We need to remember and pray that we know how to decipher the distractions. We know how to discern the agendas. We can decree truth and righteousness into situations. We have to stay in tune with the Lord so that we are not wavered and that we are not shaken. And we need to remember that the promise of God says his light is far greater than any darkness that tries to step in. So I have good news for you about what the Bible has to say about that. When you hear stuff in the airwaves, remember Psalm 112.7. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. Psalm 119.37, help me turn my eyes away from illusions so that I may pursue only that which is true. Drench my soul with life as I walk in your paths. We have a mandate and we are told if we walk in the paths of truth and we walk in the paths of righteousness, God's got us. It's important to know what's happening and be aware. And believe me, I get You may not be in a season where you can watch the headlines right now, and that's okay. The Lord is so gracious about those moments of stillness where you have to take some time to step away. But that doesn't mean you can't still feel the swirling of the atmosphere. So you go into moments of intercession and you decree and you declare the goodness of the Lord. So since that couch moment of a little bit of a distraction, I hear that word everywhere. I have become more alert of this word distraction. I hear it all the time now. I've actually heard it from messages released from this stage in the last two and a half months from at least three speakers have addressed distraction in their messages. I overhear it in conversations if I'm in the grocery store. I have read it in the headlines and I've seen it in action in a more heightened way. So when it comes to distraction, there is a competition for your time and your attention. So I wanna talk a little bit about this. And I'm actually not gonna give the title of this message until a little bit later. 
and I'm gonna do something different. But let's start with some statistics. I'm a researcher, so I'm gonna wanna know what's happening. On average, when it comes to distractions, we lose about 2.1 hours a day because of distractions. Average time that we spend on a task before we get distracted is 11 minutes. And the amount of time it takes to return to a task after being distracted occurs every 25 minutes. So you are losing time throughout the day when distractions come in. Now, who's got their iPhone or if Shane likes to call it your Android. Who's, who's got their phones with them? Can you just pull your phones out for a second? Everyone just throw those phones up in the air. Okay, do you see this tool of communication all across the room? So let's look at some stats here. And because I'm a media history nerd, let me just give you a fun fact about your phone. The reason why you can text message is because of a man named Samuel Morse going back to 1844 when he decided to explore an invention that he had called the telegraph. So he put some wire down from Washington, D.C. to Baltimore, Maryland. And the first text message that was ever released in this nation was Numbers 2323, What Hath God Wrought? That was the first text message in the nation. And so from there, 20,000 miles of cable, it was laid all around the nation. And now this is why you can text message on your phone. So of course, Samuel Morse led to Morse code, which I'll actually talk about in a little bit. But this device that you have, it's needed. It's a hub of communication for us. Uh, but it also comes at a cost. There are continuous notifications that pop up, whether it's text messages, app notifications, email alert. It's a nonstop tool that can be used actually as a distraction. So there was a recent study as of July, just last month. Let me give you some stats about your phone. People check their phones up to 144 times a day. 89% say they check their phones within the first 10 minutes of waking up in the morning. 60% sleep with their phone at night. 47% of people say they feel a sense of panic or anxiety when their battery goes below 20%. 46% use or look at their phone while on a date. And I have to say, that breaks my heart. Like when I go out to a restaurant with friends, and I see a couple sitting at the table, but they're both on their phones. It just, it hurts me instead of taking time to be present with each other. And speaking of dates, I release date nights to you too, to Timothy. <laughs> Timothy Specht and Naomi Specht. May God lavish date nights upon you. 27% of people look at their phone while driving. That's a little disturbing. So listen to this, on average, what this study collected, people spend four hours and 25 minutes on their cell phones each day. Overall, the average person will spend over two months, 65 days on their phones in 2023. That's a lot of time. What could you be doing with that time? So like I said, our phones are essential. We have to have it. It's needed technology to communicate. You take advantage of useful apps. You can conduct business on your phone. You glean from powerful 
social media accounts. I'm not here to be derogatory about social media. In fact, we have a lot of powerhouse social media accounts sitting in this room. Let me give a plug to Janessa Waite because (laughs) she has a kingdom platform of how she uses her social media. And it is like a sword of truth that she wields very, very well. So let me give a plug for her upcoming equip class happening in October, where she is going to be teaching a three-week course on the power of social media from the lens of a kingdom perspective. So I encourage you, signups will be coming soon. That's my shameless plug. Okay, so like I said, your phone is needed. But if the time spent on your phone takes away from the sacred place between you and the Lord, we've got a situation. So being the word nerd that I am, let me give you some definitions of what distraction is. We're gonna dive into this word. Distraction is something that prevents someone from giving full attention to something else. The state of being very bored or annoyed, extreme agitation of the mind or emotions, divides attention and prevents concentration, complication, confusion, disturbance, diversion, interference, interruption, any action that pulls you away from something that you really want to do. And the definition that struck me the most is to draw away. Because it is the very antithesis of James 4, 8. Draw near to me and I will draw near to you. So don't you think that there is a game plan of the enemy to do everything in his power to draw you away from the one who longs to spend time with you. The enemy wants to take you away from that place where he knows you'll be transformed. He knows you'll gain momentum. He knows you'll gain strength. He knows you'll recognize your authority as a chain-breaking son or daughter that can wreak havoc on hell. He knows what happens when you're in the presence of the Lord. So this diabolical plan that he has will do anything in his power to draw you away from God, to devour you, because he roams like a lion looking to devour. So distraction, he's gonna wanna do that and he's gonna wanna devour your time. This diabolical plan is to prevent you from experiencing the glory of the Lord, to keep you from being transformed by the fire of God's presence. Now, if you know me well, then you know somehow C.S. Lewis was gonna find its way in this message. So let's talk about the screw tape letters. Has anyone ever read the screw tape letters? It's my favorite work by Lewis. And essentially, it's a book of 31 letters written from a senior demon named Uncle Screwtape to his nephew, a junior demon named Wormwood. Fun fact, Wormwood is actually found in the Bible, but you can look that up. So Uncle Screwtape, in a series of 31 letters, is schooling his nephew, on how to tempt his newly acquired patient who's trying to have a relationship with the Lord. So through all these 31 letters, Uncle Screwtape is giving his nephew advice on how to distract the patient, how to distract him from entering into the presence of the Lord, whether that's through a series of temptations, from keeping him from embracing true repentance, that it's just words. 
It's just a flippant statement. To attacking his wandering mind, to intersecting efforts in building a relationship with the Lord. Now, what's interesting is when Lewis was asked, well, how did you write this book? Like, what was your inspiration? Where did it come from? Listen to what he said. Some have paid me an undeserved compliment by supposing that my letters were the ripe fruit of many years of study in moral and aesthetic theology. They forget there is an equally reliable, though less credible, way of learning how temptation works. My heart. He wrote this from a place of identifying areas of weakness that he has in his own heart because we all have wickedness. Every single one of us. And every one of us in here have been tempted with distraction. Daily, most likely. Because we are in an environment where it's nonstop arrows trying to grab our attention all the time. All the time. And there's a competition for our attention. Now just to clarify, the Lord doesn't compete with the enemy for our attention. He's a lot bigger than that. There is no comparison there. The one who names every star in heaven surely knows your name. Surely. And it's constantly wooing you to draw near to him. Constantly, unconditionally drawing you, come closer, come closer. Because he knows what he has in store for you. But distraction steps in the place to divert that. That div- that's the drawing near to him. And so the competition lies in distractions to disengage our focus from what really matters. If Psalm 29.2 says, given to, the glory, given to the Lord, the glory do his name, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. And 1 Peter 1.16 says, be holy for I am holy. Then don't you think there is that diabolical swirl to seduce your attention? numb your heart, confuse your mind, whisper false identity, consume you with anxiety, paralyze you with fear, and distract you from your purpose. That's what happens daily, every hour that plan's in place. This swirl wants to draw you away from being poured into over and over as glory-filled kingdom ambassadors reflecting Christ as a mirror in every sphere of influence. Wants to draw you away from how God wants you to see yourself as he sees you through his flaming eyes of unconditional eternal love that is never-ending. And even if you chose not to draw near to him, and even if you continued to be distracted, he would love you nonetheless with the same passion, with the same fire. I need to insert this as well. If God is holy and we are called to be like him, please know that you are not called because you are holy. Charles Spurgeon said, we are not chosen because we are holy, but chosen to be holy. We are made to seek after holiness. So here's the thing. It's not about how hard you work to be holy. I'm sure God appreciates that, your efforts. But if you're not careful, that could slip into law. It can slip into religion. It can slip into ritual. And it takes the life out of your glory-filled, ever-present, 
relationship with the Lord. God wants you to be holy because he is holy. The very definition of who he is. He defines holiness. He is holiness. And we get the joy and the pursuit and the honor and the freedom to be just like him. And that's the thing, there's a freedom there because our will, we have a choice for it to align with the Father or not. We have a choice. Every day we're presented with that choice of how we're gonna handle holiness. But it's the best decision that you'll ever make if you choose to draw more near to him because there's always a greater measure of his holiness to be discovered. That that word more, it's endless. It has no boundary. It has no stopping point to it. There is always more. If heaven is constantly encircling the throne with new revelation of his holiness, of his glory, of his goodness, of his truth, then that is your portion as well. That daily you have the opportunity to discover something new about the holiness of the Lord. Daily, you have an opportunity to step into a place as a son or a daughter and say, God, show me, reveal to me what you want me to know about your character, about your holiness so that I can be more like you. And the overflow and the byproduct of that is that you get to influence your sphere of influence. But the important thing is your resting place in the holiness of the Lord. And that it's not just something you occasionally do, maybe every six months, every three months, every month, that it's something that you you are more sensitive to, the beckoning of the Lord, to draw more near to him on a more continuous basis. There is always a greater measure of holiness to be discovered. We are lifelong students in the classroom of his presence. Lifelong students. Don't let distractions rob you from that inherited seat in that classroom of his presence. Don't do it. Don't let regret come in down the road of years that you may have wasted, of time that you could have spent with the Lord. Now, God in his infinite goodness and grace, he's not about regrets. I'm just saying, don't waste your time on idle things. Find out what's important in your life and get back in tune with the refinement of the goodness of the Lord. I love that song, We Make Space, because it talks about let's clean the clutter out. Let's get that clutter. I was listening to this song yesterday and I love the lyrics, come in, invade, take over this space, surround and golf, press in. We are ready. We make space, we make room, how we long to be close to you. Oh, come and take up residence. Jesus, Jesus, welcome in. We're clearing out the clutter for the only one that matters. Bye, 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 clutter. What is the clutter? What's the clutter you have in your life right now? What's the clutter you have in your life? And it can cover a gamut of things. Proverbs 4.25, set your gaze on the path before you with fixed purpose, looking straight ahead, ignore life's distractions. This scripture goes back to the words I heard initially on my couch moment that day in May. 
when I heard the Lord say, don't let the veil of distraction prevent you from seeing the veil that's already been torn on your behalf. Don't let the distraction limit your unveiled access to the presence of God, the glory of the Lord. So my question to you today is, are you suspended, stalled, crippled by distraction, or are you drawing near to the fire of God's presence that consumes all distraction? I'm gonna ask it again. Are you suspended, stalled, or crippled by distraction, or are you drawing near to the fire of God's presence that consumes all distraction? So here's the title of the message. Fellowship with the consuming fire. Fellowship with the consuming fire. Because the opposite of distraction is undevoted attention, concentration, focus, intentionality, being present, engaged, undivided devotion, clarity, and drawing near. That's the opposite of distraction. So how do you get there? How do you attain that place? Like I can give you scriptures. I can give you examples of what I've walked through, but I like practical points. Just some steps that you can take to practice when you leave this place because what matters is the time when you leave this place. It's not about this moment right here. It's what's happening in your home life, that secret place with the Lord. So what do you do to help alleviate the clutter in your life to draw closer to the fire of God's presence where in that place, incineration happens. The distractions are consumed. Distractions are engulfed. Distractions are swallowed by the goodness of the Lord and frees you to a place to experience the fullness of his measure that he has special for each one of you. So if you look at the word distraction, you've got two words in there. You actually have the word action in distraction and then you have traction in distraction. So I wanna give you some action that has to take place to give you that traction to draw more near to the presence of the Lord. So prayer and reading your Bible, those are non-negotiables. <laughs> those are things that have to happen. Like praying is just essential. It's an ingredient that you have to have in your life for some kingdom culinary goodness, including reading your Bible because your Bible is the foundation of truth where you glean the plan for life, what God has for you. So I wanna give you four T's just real quick that the Lord showed me. The first one, tongues. Second one, Terry. Third, testimonies. And fourth one, thanks. And each one of these could have a message of its own, so I'm gonna briefly hit each one, but these are some action things that you can do. Tongues, one of the best accounts of experiencing the fire of God's presence is found in Acts 2. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. There they appeared them, divided tongues of fire, and one sat upon each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. When you speak in tongues, you are literally speaking the language of fire. It's the language of fire. And so I wanna encourage you to kick up this gift that has been bestowed to you 
because you are speaking the language of fire. It's like turning on this turbine engine from within. It's like releasing the dam of goodness wherever you go. I find that my time to speak in tongues is when I'm driving. I have driven in stillness for a long time now. I turn my radio off, I don't put a playlist on, and I will speak in tongues. That is my time. Now it's different for everyone else. But people that drive by me, it probably looks like I'm having my own karaoke party in the car because my arms are going and my tone is raising and things are different. And I just like, hey, how you doing? (laughs) Speaking in tongues is filtered through the mandate of thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You are automatically aligning with the precepts of heaven when you step into a place and you are speaking in tongues. It is a coded fire language full of mysteries, a language the enemy cannot decipher, and it is like speaking the Morse code in the spirit. He has no access to what you are saying. He doesn't understand when you speak in tongues what you are releasing. But the Lord knows, the Holy Spirit knows that when you step into that place of speaking in tongues, that the fire on your life connects with the fire of his presence and it becomes spirit to spirit communication. And that is some powerful stuff. And let me tell you this, if you have not been given the gift of speaking in tongues, if you have not been baptized with fire, there will be a team up here after waiting for you to have some fun, to release that fire language upon your life. And let me tell you something, you know what happens when you speak in tongues? There was this amazing study done where this scientist studied different people of different religions and how they communicate. One was chanting, One was meditation out loud and the other was people praying in tongues. And do you know what he found in this study? That your frontal lobe where all the brain activity, when you're speaking in tongues, it shuts off. It deactivates. It is void of distraction. When you're meditating another, like you're chanting, like religions do, their frontal lobe kicked up with activity. They couldn't concentrate. They weren't in the zone. But when you speak in tongues, distraction can't step into that space. There's a boundary there in how the Lord made your brain to work. There is a boundary in that sacred space when you are speaking in tongues that you can't be distracted. So I practiced it yesterday. I started walking around my apartment speaking in tongues and I wasn't thinking about anything else. I never thought about that before. The second one, Terry. Now something really significant happened before the Holy Spirit and that fire language showed up in Acts 2. A very key conversation happened between Jesus and his disciples. And it talks about it two times in scripture before he ascended into heaven. And being assembled together with them, Jesus commanded them to depart, to not depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father which he said, you have heard from me for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. He told him to wait. And then in the other account in Luke of the same situation, he said, behold, I send the promise of my father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. That word tarry means to linger in expectation. 
Linger in expectation of what the Lord has. Linger in the fire of God's presence. Tarry in the place where distractions are designed to attack you, or you can tarry in the place of God's presence where they're consumed from your life. Lingering in his presence is taking time to seek his face in that unveiled access place. That tarry space is where holiness is cultivated. That lingering, that extra time that you choose to spend, that you, you may say your prayers, you may read your word, but do you linger after? Do you take the time to just see his face a little bit more? Because it's in that space where your faith is strengthened, your trust is built, your character is developed in that place of lingering, that place of holiness. And then there's another aspect of Terry that I felt real heavy that I wanted to share. This is a thriving prophetic culture. I'm pretty 100% sure everyone in here has been given a prophetic word. If not, it's coming. So linger and expectancy about that. I wanna talk to those who are waiting for the promises of God to be fulfilled on your life. I felt an aching there when I was praying about this. That space in between when the promise is given until the promise is fulfilled, that is holy ground. That space in between is holy ground. Embrace it. Embrace it. I know there's a lot of promises in here where you are waiting for the Lord to fulfill the desires of your heart, but don't miss out on that place of linger, of the space in between that's holy ground. That is the place of refinement. That is the place of purifying. That is the place where you know in expectancy that God's promises are coming. And that if he declares a yes and amen over your life, he is faithful to bring that to pass and it will not be negated. So that time in between, linger in his presence and let the expectancy build so that you know when that promise is fulfilled, it's 2 Corinthians 1.20. You are walking it out for all the promises of God in him are yes and amen to the glory of God through us. That leads to the third one, your testimony. We have a house scribe. He's sitting here on the front row. We have Bob, who has been mandated to oversee the testimonies. And we have a testimony of culture in this house for a reason. One is biblical. Two, it's momentum for others to hold on to their promise that God has given them. That if he can do it for this person, then certainly he can do it for you. And it's not just about you, it's actually about the generations. It's being able to pass those stories down of fulfilled promises so that your sons and your daughters and your nieces and your nephews can walk a life of holiness and stick close to the fire of God, knowing that the Lord will never leave them nor forsake them and will fulfill every promise that has been spoken on their life. Don't negate the power of testimony. The fourth one, give thanks. The fourth T is thanks. If there is one parable in the Bible that wrecks me to the core, there's a lot of them, but it's the parable of the 10 lepers. Out of 10, out of 10 that Jesus healed, only one 
came back to give thanks. Just one. Your heart of thanksgiving opens gates that you don't even know. Don't forget to give thanks because the Lord is so worthy. That is the moment, even before, you give him thanks even before the promise has been fulfilled, that you get to give him glory and honor for everything that he is worth. So tongues, tarry, testimony, thanks. That's your formula. (laughs) So real quickly, I had a dream about this gentleman. And this is a story about the fire of God's presence. And I'm going to zip through this real fast. I had this dream on June 26th of this year. And in a very loving voice, I heard in the dream, I would like for you to be more like Blaise Pascal. I woke up, I jotted it down. And I'm like, who in the world is Blaise Pascal? So I went on a journey and I found something extraordinary about this man. He was born in 1623 at the age, and he died at the age of 39 in 1662. He grew up in France. He was homeschooled by his father. He became interested in geometry at age 12, and he began to study mathematics. By 15, he was studying with prominent French mathematicians. By 16, he was developing mathematical theories like the theory of probability, which eventually helped shape the field of calculus. Now, at that moment, I had to pause in my research and I'm like, Lord, I am the last person that you wanna be talking to mathematics to. (laughs) That is not my lane. Mathematics, numbers, I am words. Give me adjectives all day long and I'll tell you how to put them into a sentence. My lane is to teach people how commas save their lives. In a sentence. Like I can say, it's lunchtime, exclamation point. Let's eat, comma, Eddie, period. That's a nice meal between friends. If I say, it's lunchtime, exclamation point, Let's eat Eddie, period. That's cannibalism. And things can get really awkward and weird. I teach people how to use commas and punctuation to save their lives. I don't do numbers. I'm not a mathematician. So the Lord was like, hang on, sweet girl, just keep going. So I continued my studies. And so what this man did, like he invented... um, the first digital calculator. He invented the vacuum of atmospheric pressure. He got tired of sticking his hand in his pocket to pull out a pocket watch, so he invented the wristwatch. You're welcome, everyone that's wearing a watch. And so he just did all these amazing things, but why am I telling you this? So he was impacted by the Lord growing up. He had learned about Catholicism. That's kind of what he was familiar with. And, but something happened really radical to him one night where he was in a carriage accident and the carriage like almost flipped over the bridge and it scared him. And what happened is a situation was used to draw him more near to the Lord. And so what happened in this moment on November 23rd, 1654, is he had an encounter with the fire of God's presence where he lingered for two hours, two hours and a night that is known as the night of fire. And in his words, this is what he wrote. I can only cover pieces of it. In all caps, he scribbled on parchment paper, fire. 
God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, not of the philosophers and of the learned, forgetfulness of the world and everything except God. He is only found by the ways taught in the gospel, grandeur of the human soul, righteousness, Father. The world has not known you, but I have known you. Joy, joy, tears of joy. This eternal life that they know, the one true God and the one true God that you sent, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ. Let me never be separated from him. He is the only one kept securely by the ways taught in the gospel, renunciation total and sweet, complete submission to Jesus Christ and to my director, eternally enjoy for a day's exercise on the earth. May I not forget your words. Amen. That was his night of fire where he lingered and was wrapped in the presence of God for two hours. And what is the piece that I found that struck me was that he was so impacted by this night of fire that he took that piece of parchment paper and he sewed it into the lining of his jacket that covered his heart so that the fire of God would be close to him all the days of the rest of his life. He lived for eight more years after that. And it was someone who worked in his house that found that piece of paper sewed into the lining of his jacket. That moment of being wrapped in the fire was that important to him that it marked him where he wore it. Second Corinthians 3, 12 through 18. When one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the spirit. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. That's where it is. That unveiled place is where it's at. This glory space, this space where you get to see his face, where you get to commune with him, where distractions melt by the fire of the Lord. This precious opportunity that you have to linger in his presence, don't miss it. This daily invitation to draw near to the fiery presence, let that consume your hearts. Let it consume your hearts. So if you felt that swirl in the airwaves, if you felt the weightiness of what's happening, you're gonna be okay. Even Charles Finney, one of the greatest evangelists, it's documented that when he felt the fire of God waning in his heart, he went out into the woods and he knelt before the Lord and he lingered in the presence of God until it came back, until he felt it resurge back within him. So find the woods that you need to retreat to and hang out with the Lord and you're gonna be okay. You're gonna be fine. There's always more fire Even Christmas Evans, the preacher at the Welsh Revival, he said, revival is God bending down to the dying embers of a fire just about to go out and breathing into it until it bursts once again into flame. Your embers are being primed for the Lord to breathe on them to burst into flame. And even if you think you have enough of the fire of the Lord, you don't have enough. You don't have enough. So this is how I wanna end. If everyone can stand, and if the worship team can come on back up, 
There's a declaration I wrote that I wanna read over you. I wanna declare over you the goodness of the Lord. God of holy fire, burn bright in us. Consume the distractions, incinerate the fears. Remove the ash of the past. Breathe on the embers of today. Spark a hunger for an encounter-filled future. Rekindle a passion for bold prayer, pure worship, and your precious word. God of holy fire, be our everything. Let us be transformed as we embrace the heat of holiness. Let the altar of our hearts be prepared for fresh fire to fall. Let us worship daily at your throne, ablaze with awe and wonder. Let us be captivated by your flaming eyes of love. Let the airwaves roar with testimonies of your goodness. Let all generations be branded as overcomers by the blood of Jesus. God of holy fire, we yearn for more of you. Strike the match of true repentance as your presence refines, aligns, and draws us to abide. Sweep the streets with blazing brooms of your righteousness. Fill the earth with citizens of heaven and glowing cities of holy habitation. Ignite schools, communities, and churches near and far with outpourings of the Holy Spirit. Sons and daughters, be the light of the world. Be of good cheer. Be beacons of revival. Remember who you are in the eternal flame within you. God of holy fire, yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit BethelATX.com.